Hi everyone, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And uh, this is going to be released in the new year, so this is our new year's podcast. Ooh. Our new year's episode, my bad. I keep calling every episode a podcast. Every day is a new world, a new adventure. So yeah, 2021 is a new year, and it's going to be nice, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be clean, clear, and under control. See, I'm not going to do that, because I was back listening to old episodes of a podcast that has been running for a while, so I was listening to like their beginning of January New Year's episode. Is it the Try Guides? It is the the Try Guys. And they had so many hopes and dreams. And I just wanted to scream, you don't know what's gonna happen. I see, like, whenever I start a new year, I'm always just like, you know what, we're gonna give it our best shot. And like, I started 2020 with my partner, like in the hospital for 14 hours. And like, 2020 started off bad for us. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm going into 2021. And I'm like, as long as it's a little better, that's all I want. A little better. But I got a dog in 2020, so I guess that's fine. That's true. Some good things happened, I'm sure. The only good part about this year is June. We do love you, June. See? People love you. The internet thinks you are precious. We're going to change our Twitter into a June fan account. You know, when we got her, I was like, oh, I want to get her an Instagram. And then I swore off Instagram, so now I don't have an Instagram for myself or for the dog. I mean, you don't need one for yourself. You just need one for the dog. Maybe I should rebrand my old Instagram as a June Instagram. Yeah, that's what I did with mine. Stop licking my hand. I'm not licking your hand. <laughs> that's not allowed. It's not very uh, social distance of you. That's not COVID friendly. When the... Uh, social distancing stuff happened whenever I saw people who were like closer than a feet to each other I was like that's not very social distance of you you sound like my mom yeah I was trying to be like a hip cool mom you know yes all those hip cool moms enforcing regulations but it came from that one meme you know that's not very cash money of you (laughs) that's really how they should have approached this they should have uh only given us the COVID regulations in memes and then maybe people would have listened. People would have listened. Like, six feet apart like six inches at Subway, you know? (laughs) Oh my god. Any hoodles. Chantel, do we have any peer review this week? We do. Peer review number one, we have Ethan again. Hello, Ethan. Again. He agrees with you about the Gawain reading, which I'm very upset about. As he should. But it's fine. He said that um, Gawain definitely wouldn't have been honest with Bertilak if he had slept with his wife. Yeah. But he obviously was honest with the kissing. So he thinks that Gawain just likes to kiss his homies. Oh, like, instead of doing, you know, the, like, hand clasping, hand on the back, he, he bro, like, we suck. He he likes a smooch. Yeah, basically. It's like a bro smooch. A bro smooch. A, a bro smooch. But also with his gal pals. A brooch? <laughs> a smooch? That's terrible. I hate it. We'll workshop it. Hey, come over here, baby. I'm going to give you a smooch. It's like um, chest bumping, but with your mouth. I can see that. Yeah. I think you're like the only person this side of the Atlantic who thought to have a queer reading about it. I just feel really strongly about it. I, th- I think you do, um, and I think it's a valid opinion to have, but I'm glad that Ethan thinks I'm right, not that it's a competition. I have a lot of strong feelings, and everyone doesn't have to agree with all of them. I'm still going to have them. Second peer review is from my mom, <laughs> who is a faithful listener of every single one of our 30-second preview videos. <laughs> Which are just me. <laughs> she said... Okay, so for context, if you didn't see our 30-second preview video, it was the part where Aimster was talking about Gawain glamping and being like that guy who goes up to Muskoka in his Gucci 
and his shoes that look like space shoes. She said that he sounds exactly like David when he moves to Schitt's Creek. Mm, Yeah. But like, see, I always thought that Gwen would be more of like the hockey bro going up to Muskoka. You know, I'm picturing an Austin Matthews nonsense here. I don't know who that is. Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, he's like the super rich kid from like, well, he's not rich. He's rich now. He wasn't rich at the time, but like he got money and now he buys Gucci. You know, kind of like how Gwen got fame. Now he buys Gucci. Yeah. (laughs) But it's the same vibe. Like, you know, you get to like the swamp creek and you're like, ew, David. Am I doing this right? (laughs) Stop, David. Your mom is an amazing human being and I hope she listens to this part of the episode. I'll show her this part specifically. Okay. Thank you, Chantel's mom. You're the (laughs) bomb.com. You might need to cut that. Um, Nope. So... Now that we've talked for all this amount of time, I guess it's the end of the podcast, Dave. No. Okay, so you picked a poet today, um, but it sounds like that poet's going to be a surprise to you. So who is the poet? So this week we are going after a poet whose name sounds about how I feel about him. His name is John Donne, and I am done with him. You are? And we haven't even started. I'm pretty sure I was mixing him up with Keats or something. Keats or Yates or one of those other ones that end in E-A-T-S. Probably Yates, T-B-H. Oh, now we have to do a Yates episode. But no, so this week um, we're going to talk about John Donne, who is a poet from the 17th century. Yes, and very late 16th. Uh, Chantal has done more research about this than I have. So uh, take it away. Well, it's not my poet, so I needed some background. So I think this boy, he's a good boy. He is. He's had a lot of evolution throughout his life. So I think the best way to approach this is to go through his life and then to pinpoint some key moments in his poetry. So let us do this. Okay. It all began in a small town in England. I don't know where he's from. Uh, leave me a second. I'll let you know. John Donne, English poet, is from... Watch it be London. <laughs> London. A young man from the small town of London, England. Well, at the time, London wasn't as big as it is right now. It was still, like, the biggest, though. That's true. But yeah, our boy John Donne, born in London in 19... 19- nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> In 1572, on the 22nd of January. Oh, cool. Which is coming up. Yes, it is. It's going to be his birthday soon. Um, so he was the he was the child of a widowed man who remarried his mother. His dad was also named John Dunn. His son was also named John Dunn. The three generations of John Dunn. Some may say we're done with it. <laughs> so he was privately educated, which is probably why he became a writer. Because, like, what else are you going to do, right? Did a lot of traveling and had a lot of fun. He was widely known as a rake. For the people at home who don't know what a rake is. He picked up leaves. (laughs) We do not condone judging people on their sexual endeavors and or gambling, but a rake partakes in both. He's like a old timey player. Yeah, he's a fuck boy. So it was around that time that he wrote the first poem we're going to talk about, which is my personal favorite, The Flea. So The Flea is the reason why we decided to do this, because I was like, hey, let's do The Flea. It's super fun. And then I remember that it was by John Donne. You want to tell the people what The Flea is about? 
Oh, you want me to? Okay. Or shall I? It would make it a joint endeavor. Okay. So the flea is, spoiler alert, about a flea. No way. I never would have guessed. But not just like a normal flea, you know, like a Bob's flea. No, no. It's a type of genital thing. What the fuck? No. I thought it was just like a flea on the bed. Did I misread this? I think it's a flea, man. Well, okay. It's not what Wikipedia told me. Well, we know from Sir Gawain that Wikipedia is our most reliable source. Okay, Wikipedia says the poem uses the conceit of a flea which has sucked blood from the male speaker and his female lover to serve as an extended metaphor for the relationship between them. It's split into three stanzas and is kind of three different parts of the story. So in the first one, their blood has mixed together and Johnny's like, you know, our bodily fluids are already kind of mixed together. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, you know what I mean? She's like, yeah, everyone knows what you mean. Everyone on earth. He's like, yeah, no, so we might as well bang. She's like, yeah, I got it. I got that. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. So let's backtrack here. There's this flea, (laughs) which is apparently not crabs, as I previously thought, though that would make it a much better story. So there's this flea, and it's bitten John, Jackie boy, and then it's bitten Mary Lucy, (laughs) and John is all that. Let's bang. And she's like, ugh. And he's like, our fluids have already crossed. And she's like, I guess. Uh, and then in the second stanza, he's like, don't kill the flea because she's going to kill the flea. Oh, she fucking should. <laughs> don't let fleas just live around your house. But he's like, the flea is now us. We live in the flea. The flea has three lives in one. If you kill the flea, you are killing part of me. Do you want to know something fun about fleas? During the First World War, there used to be a lot of fleas in the trenches. That's not a fun fact. Oh, but to kill them, they would um take, like, you know, their, their clothing iron? Yeah. And they would, like, iron their clothes or their bedding or whatever. And you could hear the eggs from the fleas popping under the heat. So that's a fun fact about fleas. It's not about genital crabs. I don't see how they would have genital crabs because they have not slept together. That's the whole thing. I forgot that was the whole thing and I have another poem in mind about somebody else somewhere another another time and it's okay. You just have to roll with it. We're rolling with it. Okay. So she kills it and he's like, why did you kill the flea? And then he's like, see, the flea did not kill us when it died. So therefore, your fears are irrational because my fears about dying if you killed the flea were irrational. So your fears about not having your chastity when we go back into the public eye are also irrational. So you should sleep with me. In conclusion, that's my hamburger essay. Goodbye, Jack Dunout. So as someone who's currently watching uh, the new Netflix show Bridgerton, and I've seen two episodes, I have the concept of virtue and chastity ingrained in my brain right now. And it's like bringing itself back up, you know. I was really into Pamela by uh, Samuel Johnson. But the thing is, like, this womanly virtue is a really big thing at the time. Yeah. Keeping in mind, this is not the same time as Bridgerton. It's about as far from the Bridgerton era as we are. Yes, yes. But what I'm saying is women were not allowed to have the type of independence from their own bodily desires as they do now. Yeah. Women could be like, I want my freedom, but they couldn't have it. Yeah. They were like, I want my freedom. Also, he looks like a snack. And then society was like, no, that's not allowed. You have to get married first. You have to get married and then you can only have one person unless he dies. And then maybe you can have two people. Maybe. Maybe. You also have to grieve. So big maybe. Big maybe. But yeah, this is very much a poem of a young man, ain't it? Yeah. If you look at the old paintings of him, like when he was a young Jack Dunn, it's like him 
with his Wesley-esque mustache, like Wesley from The Princess Bride. He's got this thin, like kind of crooked mustache and he's kind of creeping out of the shadows. And I feel like that's just his entire vibe. Did you look up the painting? The one where his lips are just like... (laughs) His duck face portrait. He has a hat. He looks like a musketeer. Yeah, he does. He does look like a musketeer. Also like Wesley, because Wesley was a musketeer, right? Like Carrie Elwes was a musketeer? Or am I thinking Robin Hood? I think you just think he's a musketeer because he has a hat. Having a hat does make you a musketeer. Yes, if you wear a hat at any point in your life, you are legally a musketeer. Yes, but it has to be the musketeer hat. No, any hat. Any hat? Any hat. Like a baseball cap? Yeah, a toque. Is this like an executive decision? No, that's just how it is. Okay. I don't have to make an executive decision. That's already the rules. Okay. (laughs) But I do have to say, he doesn't necessarily like look like a snack. (laughs) But, like, he looks like the kind of guy that, like, if it was the 17th century and I had to bring someone home to mom, I'd be like, okay. Keeping in mind that not a lot of people look like a snack because their beauty standards were much lower because we've steadily evolved to be much more attractive than they were back then. Also, paintings are very hard to make. Did you love the painting that I sent you today of the very muscular, long-lived baby Jesus? So I looked at it. Went, I'm not interacting with that. And I noped out of there. You left me on red. Yeah, I think I saw. I know there's a reason for it. And it's that they wanted to uh, depict Jesus as like fully formed and that he was unchanging. And so he was a man when he was a baby. But also, I love the idea that those painters had just never seen a baby before. It's like they'd never seen a cat. Yeah, the same way they had never seen a cat. Okay, so after he was done being a player, not really after he was done but like near the end of him being a player he fought in two battles in Spain because he was kind of like setting up a political career he wanted to go into politics and then he because he was a musketeer because he was a musketeer and then he was appointed chief secretary by a man named Sir Thomas Egerton 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 sure Sir Thomas Egerton around that time he fell in love with Sir Egerton's niece It was quaint, except that he did not have permission to fall in love with Sir Egerton's niece. So he married his boss's niece in secret, and then he got in big trouble with him and her father, and then he got fired, and then he got arrested along with the man who married them and the man who bore witness to their marriage. Straight facts on the Wikipedia page. Yes! Did you just see it too? (laughs) Nah, I read it this morning. Sweet. So eventually they were all released because, you know, the marriage was valid and you can't just arrest someone because you don't want them to do something. Man. But he got fired still. So he wrote to his wife and he signed his letter, John done and done, undone. And we're done. I think, I okay, I need to give John Dunn more credit because I am a piece of shit who sometimes doesn't give people credit where they deserve credit he's real entertaining at the beginning yeah and you can tell that he really likes his wife oh he loved Anne, and she just like he he seems clever you know he seems like a clever young chap um who got dealt a really bad hand and he married for love and i think that's sweet yeah i mean he was very privileged he kind of just did what he wanted but they shouldn't make it illegal and bad to just marry who you want to marry you should be able to marry who you want to marry. Love is love is love. Love is love is love. He he kind of got back into politics after that. He became an MP, but then his personal life started falling apart because his wife had 12 births in a row 
Two of them were stillbirths. Three of the children died very young. This is like 12 births in like 16 years. I think we need to point that out. Yeah, it's like not a long time. Like, can you imagine spending the most of 16 years pregnant? That's just so much pregnant. That's too much pregnant. Like, I can just imagine how much you love each other, hopefully, because that's that's a lot. So he was he's pretty unhappy throughout because of all the like terrible things that were going on. And then he kind of found religion in that time. And that's when he started writing the Holy Sonnets. Yeah, it should be noted that our boy was born a Catholic. Oh, was he actually? According to the Wikipedia page, he was born into a Catholic family, a remnant of Catholic revival, who reluctantly became a cleric of the Church of England. Man, that's going to shed a whole new light on a fun fact that I have dug up from the Wikipedia page later in this presentation. Amazing. <laughs> it's a presentation now. This is my PowerPoint night. Thank you for uh, for coming. Okay. So you were saying he's a religious boy. Yeah. So he became a religious boy and he started writing the Holy Sonnets. The Holy Sonnet we want to talk about is Holy Sonnet number 14, which is nicknamed Batter My Heart, O Three Person God. Would you like to briefly go over what this poem is about? <laughs> Can I read it first? Yes. <laughs> Uh, batter my heart, three-person God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to men, that I may rise and stand, o'erthrow me and bend. You're forced to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, an usurped town to another do, labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason your viceroy in me, me should defend, but captured and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you, and would be loved fain, but I'm betrothed unto your enemy, divorce me, untie, or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor never chase, except you ravish me. So I don't think he's that different than his early days in this poem. Controversial opinion? I think he's the same old Jack, just with a little churchgoer's cap on. I think this is a guy who was happily married. You know, he lived his carnal and uh, non-carnal love for his wife, and he knows what's up. But he's also like, God. Yeah, he knows what's up, and he kind of wants to write the same kinds of poems. To me, this is like if John Mellencamp, stick with me. Okay. If John Mellencamp got halfway through writing Hurt So Good and then remembered, oh man, this one's for my gospel choir, and then just change baby to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's out. And we're done. <laughs> and that's our closer. Thanks for coming, everyone. Uh, I have to go look at the lyrics now to see how that works. Sometimes worship don't feel like it should, baby. <laughs> Oh, man, Lord knows there are things we can do, baby. He's already making it for his gospel group. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think I agree with you. Like, this guy, you know, has, a, like, a smidgen of religion. I love how that rhymes. Thanks. You're making poems. <laughs> I'm a poet, and I know it. Um, and I think he's using a lot of religious iconography, and that's cool. But also, like, a lot of, like, loving iconography. But his, this last part where he says, divorce me, untie or break that knot again, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you and enthrall me, shall never be free, 
nor ever chase except you ravish me is not really positive. I mean, I, I get where he's coming from because he's like, I am a human being, therefore I am a victim of the original sin, therefore I need you to cleanse me. It's like religion is his ball and chain. Yeah. Like it has a lot of marriage undertones, you know? Okay. Like the the marriage knot, which is you tie the knot, right? That's a thing. Yeah. Is that the divorce? Yeah, he was saying he was married to God's enemy. I'm guessing that's Satan for original sin, but now I'm thinking maybe he's talking to like the uh, Anglican version of God and he's saying that he's Catholic. Mm. Yeah, because he says here a three-person God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I'm considering here, I wonder if that's also prominent in Anglicanism. Mm, Yes, I think that's pretty universal with most branches of Christianity. Well, some of them don't believe in God. In Christianity? <laughs> some of them don't believe in Jesus. In Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> some of them don't believe in the Virgin Mary. That I know. Perhaps. No, there's all like different levels of like who you pray to. So some people pray to Jesus or some people pray to God directly because they don't believe Jesus was like the actual hot shot. Okay. Religion is a spectrum. Religion is a spectrum. We talked about this last week. I love that you're bringing it full circle. Of course. Give me one second, okay? I came here as prepared as I thought I was going to be. And then I was wrong. Oh, he meditates on God, death, divine love, and faith. I really love the list of topics he covers because it's like um, love, sexuality, religion, and death. And it's like, man, isn't that the whole spectrum of topics? <laughs> Gotta get them all in there. I'm sorry. I'm reading a line-by-line summary. Oh, he says here that he can't let religion back in. Because he's too logical about it. Oh. So, like, betrothed onto his enemy is just, like, he's losing his faith? So he wants a divine revelation or something? So I'll read you the simplified version. Instead of my logical thinking is held captive by enemy forces and turns out to be feeble or even unfaithful unto you. It's like logic is the enemy of religion. I mean, that's that's a strong sentiment coming from someone who was about to become a christian leader and i think this is the part where he's like he's questioning his religion and he's questioning his the role of logic in religion Hmm. okay so after this his wife died five days after giving birth to her last stillborn child and he was having a really tough time that's when he wrote sonnet 17 Um, which was just like an elegy to his lost wife and how he loved and missed her so much. No, it just makes us sad because he had such a loving life and a loving wife and he was happy with it all. And then childbirth is difficult and kills you. In the 17th century, it do. Statistically, it was quite likely for someone to die in childbirth because they were having like 15 kids and also they didn't really have medical care. See our first episode. And that was way after this. Yeah, like they had time to learn and they didn't. Like this was during the like plague times. This is like 200 years before Victor Frankenstein was written. Yeah. So then he started writing much more somber works because like he was just straight up not having a good time, man. I think he was really depressed and because mental health wasn't real, like it's not something that they would talk about, you know, they'd just be like, oh, this guy's sad. It's like, no, I think this guy's fucking depressed. So he started writing against Catholicism now. So I guess this is when he was switching over to being an Anglican. Mm. And then he was awarded an honorary doctorate in divinity from the University of Cambridge. And then he started serving as a religious leader in various roles 
roles. And then he was eventually promoted to be the Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London when he was about 49 years old. See, this is my favorite part of his life story, perhaps, because... When he was Dean of St. Paul's, he became my favorite version of John, Last Word John. Last Word John. Because he was pretty sick towards the end of his life. Um, He served at St. Paul's for 10 years, and then he was on his deathbed. And then he got up from his deathbed to deliver a sermon called Death's Duel about the meaning of life and death. And then he died. And people see that as his own funeral sermon. So he got up from his deathbed to deliver his own funeral sermon. Because John Donne was never done. (laughs) He was never done. And he was really never done because his his memorial still stands at St. Paul's Cathedral because it was like one of the only things to survive the fire of London. Last word, John is never done. (laughs) That's actually pretty impressive, TBH, not gonna lie. I know. (laughs) And Jill, do we want to like talk about one of his more somber works? Well, he wrote Death Be Not Proud. Yep. I didn't really read it. I didn't reread it. This is great podcasting. Excellent podcasting. We're not even going to edit this out. It's just going to be three minutes of dead air while Amy silently reads a poem. Oh, he wants to kill death. Oh, do he? He do. The last two stanzas are one short sleep pass, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Oh, Yeah. So it's almost like he's talking about like how we have all this life and then we go on and we die. But like all of a sudden it's like, no, like the afterlife is still like, don't be proud that you killed us because we're on to like better things, greener pastures. That's kind of what uh, Death's Duel is about. It's like life is just this ever worsening thing leading to death. But then you have hope in the afterlife. Yeah. I guess that's a good reason for him to become religious because like there was so much death in his life. Because he was young when he lost his wife. Yeah, he was pretty young. And I think, you know, losing the love of your life that young really does something to you. And I think this is him being like, you know, we'll be together again type thing, which is super sweet. Um, John Dunn went from being a fuckboy to being a one love boy. And that's kind of sweet. He went from being like a praying mantis to being like a penguin. Yeah, because he had to take care of all the kids after, you know, like in... um. In Happy Feet. Is that the penguin movie you're going to refer to when talking about the life cycle of penguins? Rather than March of the Penguins. Have I seen both? Well, March of the Penguins is a documentary narrated by Morgan Freeman about the life cycle of penguins. Happy Feet is a fictional animated movie about a dancing penguin. But it's cute. It's cute. It's pretty darn cute. Never change. I won't. That's who I am as a person. I'm... Like, super intelligent, but I'm not super bright. You're a star. <laughs> You're a star. Um, John Dunn. This has not been an episode about his sonnets or whatever. This has very much been about John Dunn. Uh, you know, uh, a year in the life. Uh, 59 years in the life of John Dunn. Yeah, he was super young. I don't think that was, like, that young for back then. It wasn't old, though. Like, once you lived past 30, you would tend to live, like, another, like, 40, 50 years still. You'd live another 50 years. Don't make Hamilton sad today, okay? Yeah, I, just, I think John Dunn deserves more credit than I gave him as a young lass. He deserves more than you being disappointed because he's not William Yates. <laughs> he deserves more than me being disappointed that the flea in his bed is not of sexual nature. I mean, it is. It's just a sexual regular flea. It's a normal flea that happens to be there for sex, not a sex flea that happens to be there for normal times. <laughs> 
god. Um, but Chantel, this is technically yes. my week. So, on a scale of fuck boy to love boy, what do you rate John Dunn in his poems? You know, now that we've discussed him in full, I think I will rate him a strongly like boy. You know? Yeah. Like a heart eyes emoji, not quite a heart emoji. Oh, like a like you think he's really cute in the bar, but you're not entirely sure you're going to approach him because he has duck lips. Ah, uh, his painting side note um is so different when he's older because he gets rid of the terrible mustache and instead he has a very pointy beard. Hold up. <laughs> I would definitely approach him in the bar with his very pointy beard. It is the pointiest of beards. I agree. Pointy beard John Dunn can get it done. You could cut cheese with that beard. I mean, this one is cast in bronze, so yeah, probably. Hire John Dunn to chop up our next charcuterie board with his beard. That's not very socially distanced of him. He lived through the bubonic plague. He's fine. But yeah, I I quite like him. I like reading his poems. I think it's a fun ride to see his evolution as a person and as a poet. What did you think of him? Um, so him to hear being done with John Dunn, I really hated him uh, because he wasn't who I thought he was. But he turned out to be a lot better than I thought he was. And I think I might actually like scroll through a couple of his other poems just to see like if this kind of stuff is is fun and good. More fun with Dunn. More fun with Dunn. So yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking for like quick, fun, easy poems, John Donne, man. He's a quick and easy, <laughs> get her done essay topic. He really is. And I think that's like one of the things like, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before. I mentioned it in terms of like plays, but like if you have the chance to take a class on poetry and you know you're not going to just be reading Paradise Lost, by all means, take it. Yeah, poetry um, is another thing that's really quick and easy to get through. But you can spend so much time analyzing it. Yeah, like it might not necessarily be an easy class in terms of like brain power, but in terms of like amount of time you'll have to read better. Your readings are fast. Your writings may be slow if you are anything like me. Or you might just do both if you're like me. (laughs) Okay, I think that's all we have for you today. You know, 2021 is a new year. Be kind to yourself. Um, It might not be an easy ride as we enter the new year, but do what you can. Be kind to other people. Yes. Have patience with yourself and others. That's a golden rule. And that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with us. If you like this podcast, please give us a subscribe. And we would love for you to give us a rating of five stars on iTunes. You can also contact us via Outlook by emailing unsightedpodcast at outlook.com and we would love to get your feedback on today or yesterday's episode. Or on Twitter at unsightedpod. And as always, we're excited unavailable. Yeah, 2020 is a new year, which is great. 2021. Don't fuck my life. (laughs) That can just be the sound of the end.